once again, uh, it's really a blessing for uh, the comeback preaching of our friends uh, live. Uh, good morning, uh, Pastor David. Good morning. Friends, uh, listeners of this program, once again, get your Bible and let's uh, hear him, uh, Pastor David Harold Wetter. Very good. This morning I'd like to speak to you from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. I want to talk with you about the King of Kings upon a donkey. In Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1, we read, And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Now this took place that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid on them their garments on which he sat. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the multitudes going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. What an amazing scene. The king of kings riding upon a donkey. It's usually peasants that ride on donkeys. Kings are supposed to ride on gallant steeds. Why would the king of kings, the offspring of David, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, ride a donkey? And here we see the people shouting, Hosanna, which means save now. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But what is he saving them from? Certainly not from Rome. And how will he save them? What kind of king is this? Where is his golden crown studded with jewels? Where is his robe of purple to adorn his royal person? Where is his golden scepter? Where is his palace? Where is his throne? Beloved, here we gaze upon the glorious spectacle of God's mercy and love. We see our Savior, meek and lowly, coming to seek and to save, not to search and conquer. Here we have the King of Kings, not coming to ask his subjects to go to battle and die for him, but rather... He comes to die for them. Here we witness the Son of God, not in His glorification, but in His humiliation, as He voluntarily comes to conquer Satan, sin, and death. Think about it. Although He is the Almighty Sovereign who created the very universe He rules, He's not riding a majestic stallion towards a throne. 
but rather he rides a beast of burden towards a cross. This is a condescension beyond our ability to grasp. Here we observe our precious Savior entering the very city that he established. This is the place of Mount Moriah, where Abraham's faith was tested and confirmed by his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. The place where the Ark of the Covenant once sat, the symbol of his glorious presence. This is Mount Zion, the city of David, that holy city upon a hill that once contained Solomon's temple, and now the second temple. That city of which he earlier lamented, saying, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A reference to his second coming. That passage was from Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 34. But the Messiah King does not enter his city with joy, but with immense sorrow, with tears flowing down his cheeks. In fact, Luke tells us in chapter 19 and verse 41, And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you, and surround you, and hem you in on every side, and will level you to the ground, and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. This prophecy was fulfilled a few years later. On April 9th and 70 A.D., Titus, the Roman general, laid siege in that summer to the city of Jerusalem. He slowly starved the inhabitants, and the Romans systematically slaughtered them, attacking one part of the city at a time. And many of the same people that heard these words of Jesus were killed. The temple was utterly destroyed, and the Romans took the remaining captives to Rome to be mocked, to be butchered in the Roman circus and in the gladiatorial bouts. Please understand, dear friends, our Lord's entrance into Jerusalem marks the beginning of the Passion Week, where he would come to suffer and die and eventually rise again from the dead. And I want to draw your attention to two great truths this morning. First of all, this was a part of God's sovereign plan. For 30 years, Jesus had lived in obscurity. And then he ministered publicly for three years, always perfectly obedient to do his Father's will. And now, unlike any other coronation of a king, he enters Jerusalem with no pomp, with no ceremony. Multitudes followed him from Jericho as they were going to the Passover. Many others from Bethpage, a small village close to Bethany, which was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In fact, in John 12, verses 1 through 3, we read that he visited them six days before the Passover. This was the Passover time, a time when thousands of Jewish faithful would make their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. 
And the census records of that era revealed there were over 2 million worshipers with 260,000 lambs that would have been slaughtered. Perhaps even more on this day, given Jesus' arrival. Since, according to John, Jesus was at Bethany six days before the Passover, which probably would have been on, on Saturday, or Shabbat, and it was on the next day, Sunday, the Jewish crowds came to see Jesus and Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead, according to John 12. So according to John 12:12, 12, 12, we read, On the next day the great multitude who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him, and began to cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So it was more likely that it was on Monday, rather than the traditional Palm Sunday, that Jesus traveled through Bethpage, making his way through the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And a Monday triumphal entry is, is very important, because we know according to Exodus 12, verses 2 through 6, that the Mosaic law required that sacrificial lambs for the Passover were to be selected on the tenth day of the first month. They were to be taken into the home to be loved until the time for the sacrifice on the 14th. Only a Monday triumphal entry would fulfill this important symbolism, because the year Jesus was crucified, the tenth of Nisan was on Monday of the Passover week. You see, this would allow the Jews to nationally select Jesus as their Passover lamb, to take him into their hearts and homes symbolically, to love him, and then sacrifice him on the Friday, the 14th of Nisan. This amazing event recorded in Scripture was decreed by a sovereign God in eternity past. In fact, 600 years before, the Holy Spirit of God revealed to the prophet Daniel the precise date that this would happen, even though he didn't fully understand it. In Daniel 9.25, we read of the time of Artaxerxes' decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, that there would be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. Literally seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Seven referring to a week of years. So, seven weeks is forty-nine years, and sixty-two weeks is four hundred and thirty-four years. So, forty-nine years plus four hundred and thirty-four years equals four hundred and eighty-three years, literally sixty-nine sevens. So, as we study Scripture, we see that 483 years after Artaxerxes' decree to Nehemiah, the Messiah, the Prince, was presented to the Jewish nation on April 10, 30 A.D. Likewise, our Lord's triumphant yet humble entry was predicted 500 years earlier by the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 and verse 9, the text that Matthew quotes in verse 5. There we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you! He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, we see Jesus approaching Jerusalem purposefully, voluntarily, obedient to the Father's will, part of God's sovereign plan. But secondly, we see that this was a symbolic procession. 
It's interesting, in verse 2, he sends his disciples to a predetermined, preordained location to secure for him a donkey tied there and a colt with her. And he says to untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says something to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Such foreknowledge and omniscience is yet another illustration of the deity of our Savior. But I also see another fascinating truth embedded in this seemingly incidental scenario. Notice, there are two donkeys, a mare and her colt. They could have been the same size. Mark and Luke tell us that no one has ever sat upon the colt, and that's very significant. I am a horseman, I understand horses, and I know that it would require a miracle for anyone to sit on a colt that has never been ridden. Donkeys are extremely temperamental, very suspicious and fearful. But friends, I challenge you, try separating a young colt from its mother. Lead it away with a rope. Then try riding a young male donkey that's never been ridden. Try riding that little creature over garments that have been thrown on the ground and palm leaves with thousands of screaming people waving palm branches. The creature would be utterly terrified. Obviously, his creator miraculously calmed the little colt, so it was a miracle. Yes, but more than that, I believe this was a foretaste of millennial blessing, that promised time of restoration and regeneration, a time where physically and spiritually the world will be transformed when the king returns in all of his glory. Not only will this be a time of peace between man with man, but a time when peace will prevail between man and animals, when their terror of man will be removed. As the prophet Isaiah tells us in chapter 11, verse 6, when the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. This will be a time of universal peace when the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, will rule in righteousness, a time of national restoration for Israel. The kingdom age, the multitudes mistakenly thought Jesus was about to inaugurate, it will be that glorious time when all of the redeemed will reign with Jesus, the Anointed One, as Daniel prophesied in Daniel 7:27, where we read, Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Highest One. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey Him. Beloved, I believe that hidden in this amazing scenario, where the power of Jesus miraculously canceled the effects of the curse in this young donkey that had never been ridden, was also a subtle affirmation where the Lord is saying, Yes, I am the Almighty, the promised Messiah, who will one day accomplish what I have promised. The pristine happiness and peace of Eden, that time of regeneration in my messianic kingdom, a time of tranquility evidenced even by this young donkey. But today I come on a beast of burden, for I must bear the burdens of your sins. I come as the Prince of Peace, because through my sacrifice you might have peace with God. Today I come to save from sin, not from Rome. 
So I ride the lowly animal, symbolic of humility, not the mighty steed of a conquering king, though that day will come. Today I come to triumph over Satan's sin and death, not the nations and the rulers of this world. Though I am the Lord of hosts and I have myriads at my command, my invisible army awaits another day when I come in power and great glory. Today my warriors are fishermen, common folks. They march on their knees in prayer. They wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. My subjects are not the great and the powerful, not the religious, not the political elite, but the meek and the lowly. Today I ride towards my temple, not a palace. My destination is a cross, not a throne. I come not to be crowned, but to be crucified. In fact, my crown is one of thorns, not of jewels. My robe is, is not of royal purple, but of a peasant's cloak. Though I am the king of kings, my kingdom is not of this world. I clutch only the scepter of righteousness, not of brute force. My law is not written on parchment or stone, but on the hearts of flesh. My subjects obey out of love, not fear. I demand no taxes, for grace requires nothing. I come to give, not to take. Therefore, dear friends, the king of kings rode upon a donkey. Dear Christian, we have so much to learn here. Jesus made it clear that his kingdom is not of this world. If it were, we would all be royalty and the world would be at our command. Though we as believers are royal subjects of our king, our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. Even as Jesus was meek and lowly, likewise the glory and the splendor and the majesty of himself and his people awaits another day. Practically speaking, there is no place for ostentatious buildings and ornate robes and flamboyant vestments. This earth is not the realm of rule for the church. We're not to seek political power. Our mandate is to be involved in the preaching of the gospel, the Great Commission, only the pagan religions seek temporal glory and have grand ceremonies and grandiose cathedrals and mosques and pretentious garments and political aspirations. In closing, I wish to challenge you, dear Christians. Be willing to serve in humility. Be willing to serve in obscurity while living in the light of future glory. Make no mistake, the King is coming. Be patient. But also for those of you who trust in your own works to save you, rather than trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, those of you who really know nothing of Christ and do not love and serve Him, who know nothing of the Son of God who came to die as a substitute for sinners, to pay a price that you could not pay, I plead with you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Please hear me, dear friend, and you know in your heart it is true. Jesus is coming again, but when he returns, it will not be to save, but to judge. Someday every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Won't you ask him to save you today? He is your only hope of salvation. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. Won't you trust him before it's too late? Amen. Uh, yes, uh, the king is coming, and uh, one day he will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. So, friend, if you have been touched with, with a message this morning, why not come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Today, because tomorrow may be too late. Salvation right. is offered. So, thank you so much, Pastor, for great uh, message. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, and I will continue to pray God's richest blessing upon all of you. Yes, sir. And, uh, well, uh, in touch with you later. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. So, when I'm very soon, it's really true that uh, God is really the God, the King of Kings, is coming, and uh, if you are not yet in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to accept that you are a sinner. You have to ask forgiveness of your sins and uh, invite Jesus Christ to come into your heart. And God has promised He will give you eternal life. 